Welcome to another episode of What's Up, Woody. Before we go into this great episode with Carson Kressley, who I absolutely love, I just want to say there are a few minor little hiccups with the audio, but the interview is there in full. So if you hear a little crackling here and there, just bear with it. It'll only last for a few seconds at a time. Um, this interview is just fantastic. So kick back, relax, and listen to this episode of What's Up, Woody with the one and only Carson Kressley. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of What's Up, Woody, the podcast where it's time to have a real conversation. My name is Woody Woodbeck, your host. My guest this week is a dear friend of mine who I have known for many years. Um, his name is Carson Kressley, Emmy Award-winning TV star and fashion expert. How are you, Carson? It's so good to see you. I'm great. I'm great. I'm feeling a little blown out, but it's, you know, better too much light than not enough. So we're going to have to work with it. <laughs> Especially as we get older, right? <laughs> oh, I'll take it. Fill in the crinkle. <laughs> it's so good to see you. I was thinking about the first time that we met and it was at a GLAAD Awards in San Francisco. Oh, and it I was? Want, yes. And I want to say it was in 2005 and 2006, around then. And I was, oh, I, I sat on like the board of directors at that time and I was helping with the GLAAD Awards and I remember I, they were, I was like helping manage talent and I was with you a lot of the time, you and like Nick Varios from Project Runway oh, at the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember the funniest story, and I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, oh, can we, can we take a picture? And you were like, sure. And then as they went to take the photo, you literally gave me the giant biggest open mouth kiss schnog on my face it was hysterical <laughs> i did oh i hope you didn't get a cold sore or anything from that. <laughs> no but oh, it was good. always it was always one of my memories of you because i was like oh my god here's somebody who i have admired for so many years and then i moved to this amazing city that might change my life and then here right. i'm getting to be around gay icons who of course changed my life and here you are giving me a kiss it was quite the, it was quite the evening it I, I, um, yeah, I remember that. And they had a famous, um, somebody from the, like the symphony of San Francisco, I believe, um, yes. was like performing and uh, I don't know, do they still do glad dinners in San Francisco? I feel like they're only in New York and LA now or something. They are, they are. I feel like it was a couple of years ago, they stopped doing San Francisco, but man, oh man, there's so many memories, uh, in that city and so many memories, um, with you over the years. Um, you know, I, I, before we dive into a, a lot of stuff, I've been keeping up with you on social and you just went right. to Sydney World Pride. How was that? I did. It was amazing. Um, I love Australia and it's one of those countries that uh, I first went to. Um, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was actually on uh, broadcast television in Australia. It was not on cable uh, because the country is too big, I think, to have actual physical cable lines. So um, I was on a major network there and the show was very, very popular uh, in Australia. So I was invited many times for work. And I first went around 2003 or four. And uh, when I landed, I was just like, oh my gosh, this feels like home. And I've always had an affinity for Australia and Australians. And they're so fun and gorgeous. And um, World Pride, I will have to, I do have to say, I didn't really know that world pride was happening there. And then a couple people in Australia were like, well, you should come for world pride. And I was like, it's happening in Australia. So I feel like they kind of missed the boat on the promo for that. And there weren't a lot of Americans there. 
but it was a fantastic event. And what is so incredible about Gay Pride in Sydney, whether it's World Pride or uh, just one of the regular prides, the entire country um, is into it and the entire city of Sydney is into it. And it's not just LGBTQ folks uh, walking in the parade into the events, it's the entire town and so many allies. The prime minister of Australia walked in the parade. He was walking right by. I was like, oh my God, who's that? You know, because people were getting very excited. And there was a lady in a sparkly poncho. And I was like, she must be important. And that was the prime minister's wife. And she is important. Uh, but they were cheering for the prime minister, I guess. And um, it just that really encapsulates how important pride is in Australia. That the actual, basically, their president um, walked in the parade. Yeah, I, so I definitely. It was an amazing experience. Yeah, I kept up with it because I, I know, obviously, a lot of the promoter people and DJs and everyone that's gone over there. And they just, it was wild to me to see that country really does it right when it comes to celebrating LGBTQ people. They just always somehow get it. Yeah, they really do. And, um, you know, I saw some amazing drag there. Um, a lot of the queens from Drag Race Down Under were performing. I got to see Minnie Cooper, who I love. And, um, several of the other queens. And I think it just, it brought me back to watching Priscilla the first time, like in New York in the nineties and, and their level of drag there with like the foam wigs. Mm -hmm. Like the guy who invented that was there Amazing. Um, at one of the drag shows. So drag is a big art in Australia as well and something they do really, really well. So uh, that was a fun additional element. I, I love seeing you there. I, I felt like I was there every time I saw a little post from you or something. That was, I'm glad that you got to have a good time. And then, you know, something else that's like every gay boy's dream come true is you got to do the Oscars red carpet or champagne carpet as everyone corrected everyone the entire Oscars. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so talk. tell me, you know, what the thing that I find mind boggling about that is experience is you've probably at this point done hundreds of those red carpets at, you know, with celebrity interviews or whatever. Right. I can only imagine now you're at the Oscars and covering it in such a one-on-one -on -one personable way where it's literally just you and that crew for live and um, Ryan and Kelly. Yeah. So was it different this time around? Like it felt like it was different watching you interview everyone. Yeah, it was. I've, I've done uh, Oscar coverage probably since 2004, I think, uh, with the Today Show. Yeah. And uh, I've done Live from the Red Carpet with E! and Ryan Seacrest, who I'm absolutely in love with. He is the greatest and the most wonderful. And I've always been like, I, live with Kelly, I consider myself, I've told Kelly this, I'm like Oliver on the Brady Bunch. <laughs> I am the one who just like shows up. They don't know why. Uh, but I'm there and I'm not leaving. Um, and uh, I have a great relationship with Live with Kelly family, Live with Kelly and Ryan, who I adore both of them so much. And um, I usually do the Oscar fashion roundup the day after. Right. And it's like for Oprah, like 15 years ago, she would always do an after Oscar show. And when she stopped doing her show, Live with Kelly started to do the, kind of the post Oscars show on ABC. And I always did that, but I hadn't done the carpet for them. And when we were talking about the Oscars show, they said, oh, you should do the carpet. And I was like, mm, I don't really know. I don't really love, I don't really love doing the carpet. It's mayhem. And you have to like 
beg people to come talk to you. And uh, it's very, very hard. It's not, it might look easy, but it's really one of the toughest things I've ever done. And this year, um, working with the Live with Kelly team, they were so incredible. And we had such great producers. And what you see on camera is just the pleasant moment of the celebrity coming up and you say, hey, how are you? Tell me what you're wearing. What's this night all about for you? And the producers are doing so much work on there and talking to the publicists, trying to get them to your station. Uh, we had a great spot on the carpet. We were right by the entrance. I think being an ABC official show and the show sure. being aired on ABC certainly helped. But it was just this year, all things were working so beautifully. It was a well-oiled machine. And I just got to, um, you know, ask these big giant movie stars about their night, and what they were looking forward to. And I was just being my inquisitive little old self from Allentown, PA. And it was very natural, very relaxed. And I loved doing it. And I have to say, the celebrities from Michelle Yeoh to Austin Butler to Brendan Fraser, uh, everybody was so gracious. And uh, I don't know, it was just it was a different vibe this year at the Oscars. Um, it felt very inclusive. Uh, that felt very... Uh, it felt intentionally welcoming. Um, and I think everybody got the memo and everybody was just happy to be there and excited for all of the other nominees. And it just had a really good feeling this year. And because of that, I, I think I got some really nice interviews because we were just all just thrilled to be there, quite honestly. It's really interesting that you say that because the, the telecast itself really shows that spirit. Like everyone was really just celebrating and rooting for each other and they were just happy right. to be there. And, you know, Oscars usually has that reputation of being like the one where it's like stuffy and you can't really yeah. like have a good time. Yeah. But it just yeah. didn't feel like it this year. And I think that that's probably why the ratings were so much higher they were this year. And I, I and obviously it was a well-produced show as well, but yeah. it just it just was different. If The vibe was just so different watching it at home. Totally. Yeah, it, it definitely it's, shows through. Who were oh, your, who was your favorite uh, man and woman dressed of the evening? Uh, my favorite woman um, was Angela Bassett. And she was wearing that saturated purple Gorgeous. tool uh, by Jeremy Scott from Moschino. Uh, I got to talk to her on the carpet. And the moment she walked up, actually, before she even got to me, I was taking pictures with my own phone. Like, oh, <laughs> this is the best because for me, a lot of people are like, oh, I like it to be subtle. And, you know, there are some really beautiful, subtle outfits that Jennifer Connelly and um, Jessica Chastain, they looked gorgeous. But for me, I don't want subtle on the Oscars carpet. It's a Super Bowl of style. I want wow factor. Sure. So for me, when somebody has the right fit and it's, you know, a beautiful, saturated, incredible color, um, and Angela Bassett is just so gorgeous and I've run into her. Here's some celebrity scoop. I've run into her many times. Like the last time I saw her was at the Emmys. And it was about, I guess it was before COVID. So maybe like 2019. And Ross and I were going backstage to get a snack or something. He's like, we can't go back to the room. You take this elevator down and like the door opens and Oprah's there. And I go, hi, Oprah. And she's like, hi, Carson. And then we get in and Ross is like, what? And then we go to this like backstage area and the door opens and it's Angela Bassett. And she says hello and she's so gracious um, and so wonderful that I've just always had a great 
um, appreciation for her. So I was thrilled that she, you know, also uh, was the best dressed in my opinion. And then for the guys, um, guys are usually so boring and even like superstars, like Austin Butler looked great in, um, in YSL. There's a young Irish actor and I'm so bad. Um, I know exactly what you're talking movie. about. He was in like white, right? dinner jacket with um i think like a red rose on the lapel and it looked kind of like not that exciting but when you saw the fit of it it had a really wide leg pant and the jacket was double breasted and kind of large and boxy something i could never wear because i would just look like a glob (laughs) um but it looked so good on him and it was a great example of taking like a classic um paradigm which is like the cream dinner jacket and the white tuxedo pant but giving it an updated fit and i think gucci did that so well and then i also loved the rock and he was wearing like a pale pink like peachy pink um satin jacket so good i love to see a big butch guy in color like that and he is just he's just always so amazing i see videos of him like getting made up by his daughters wearing like eyeshadow and like a wig and he's just the best yeah, facts. I, I totally agree. And it's so it's so got to be incredible for you. One moment that stuck out watching that segment of you uh, on the on the champagne carpet was uh, Brian Tyree Henry, where you told him how great he looked. And yeah, he had this moment of like, oh, my God, coming from you, that means so much. And it really is the truth, because, you know, from your inception, you know, you worked for Ruffler and for many years and then doing Queer Eye and just the years and years and years of right. these kind of things and becoming did you ever think that you would be like the fashion? I'm sure you probably did. You hoped anyways, but the fashion authority that you are now? No, no. I just, I still don't even really get it. And I remember that moment where, you know, he had that gorgeous embroidered, you know, shirt, lapel, vest, all of it. It was so good. And um, I just have such an appreciation for fashion and having worked in the industry for a long time for Ralph Lauren, I appreciate so many aspects of it. I appreciate quality and construction and craftsmanship. And then working on the celebrity side um, and with celebrity stylists, I appreciate, you know, finding the right look for the person, something that makes them feel empowered, something that makes them feel, you know, like a movie star, especially on that night. So all of those worlds are just very exciting to me. So when I get to talk to celebrities about fashion, it's more than, oh, you look prettier. Like what, you know, what's this look all about? I, I really appreciate um, the look and the clothes and the process of finding those clothes, putting them together. Um, so I think I just, I just like clothes, and I think that um, that shows. What I never thought I would be like, you know, an, a, an arbiter of style. I just, um, I mean, I think I have pretty good taste, but I just, you know, I enjoy all kinds of clothes, and I think when when people wear them successfully, it's very exciting. Yeah. And I mean, you do have impeccable taste. I mean, you, every time I see you, even if it's like out at a club in West Hollywood, you always look put together and, and well fit. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So you definitely, you definitely carry yourself very well. That's for sure. Thank um, you. Of course. What do you think is the biggest misconception about you? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes um, one that I get pretty often, 
and I got more on Queer Eye and less on Drag Race. It's like, oh, you're like the bitchy one. I'm like, the bitchy one? No, I'm not at all. I don't think I'm bitchy at all. I think I'm sassy, but there's a difference because um, I'm very self-deprecating. So I would, you know, be the first to, um, you know, make a joke about my appearance or something that I'm wearing or something that I've done. Um, So I don't think it's bitchy at all. I just like to be sassy. And I like to say what I think people are probably thinking. Like there was an episode on Drag Race where like Trinity the Tuck had this like wig that like was flat on the top and like sideways. I was like, oh my God, she fell asleep on the bus. I don't (laughs) think that's bitchy. I think that's just being sassy and being like, "Mm, looks like she fell asleep on the bus, girl. Um, So that's just, you know, my my perspective, but I'm not bitchy. So I I would never describe you as that. I would Thanks. never describe you as that. And I know I've known you for so long and not even, and I think that's honestly, you know, I think that's part of your charm is like you have, you have a sense of humor that is poignant and sticks out and is clear. And like, that's not, I wouldn't say that's bitchy at all. Yeah. Uh, and and oh, listen, when you're a judge on those kind of shows, I'm sure you get that kind of feedback all the time. You're always going to piss somebody off in some way, shape or form. So it, it's going to, it's bound to happen. I feel like that just happened with Ross and um, S titties. I would just saw something online about that. Um, oh, I, I got, um, yeah, I got some comments about S titties as well. Because I thought like some like an outfit made her look kind of blocky or something. And it was mm-hmm. just like, how dare you? She's not blocky. I was like, well, I was there. I saw yeah. it with my eyeballs and it was <laughs> on the stage. And there's, you know, it's not here nor there. It's just, a, you know, in my opinion, she looked blocky in it. And um, I thought there would have been better, um, better, you know, looks for her. So that's why we're there. We're there to give as a judge on any of these shows, especially on RuPaul's Drag Race, which I think we try to keep really, really positive. I think our judge, our job as a judge is to say, to be a sounding board really and say, and a coach and say, you're doing X, Y, and Z really well. You're doing uh, A, B, and C not great. If you want to stay in the competition, here's what I would adjust because I think our job as a judge is to keep the, the contestants in the competition as long as possible and tell them this is what the challenge was. It's very objective. Um, You didn't meet that challenge. Here's what you can do to fix it next time because we all want you to stay in the show. We love, you know, there's a reason why those 16 girls or whatever are chosen. It's because uh, they have what it takes to win. Yeah. And I'm sure over time, you know, you, you do grow an affinity for certain contestants or like, or somebody that may be struggling, you want to see them succeed. I can't imagine being in that role for so many seasons that you wouldn't, you know, innately cheer for people. That's got to be obvious. Um, And like you said, you are getting paid to be there to do that. (laughs) It is part of your job. Yeah. Um, I do. I do want to go. I want to talk a little bit more about Drag Race, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about your legacy, uh, especially in my life personally and the LGBTQ community with Queer Eye. Um, We are both in some way part of the Queer Eye legacy now because I'm sure you know, but I worked as a producer on the first two seasons of the new Netflix mm-hmm. version. And, you know, we are now part of the same Emmy family and that has been delightful and wonderful. And, um, you know, it was, I wanted to tell you this just a little selfishly, but, you know, I told Jay this and I'm so lucky to call several of you, my friends now. Um, 
But Queer Eye came to the world at a time in my life where I was still figuring it out, right? Mm -hmm. And Queer Eye came along, and I'm sure you've heard this story a lot, but Queer Eye came along at a time and it made gay people look cool and made us so much more acceptable. And in, in a weird way that like other shows that maybe had gay characters didn't. And they wanted to root for you guys. And we rooted for you. And, and the world showed up. And I remember your ratings were insane for that time and for Bravo. And um, But I remember um, I was at a pivotal point in my life of like, what do I do with my coming out, right? And mm -hmm. deciding I had an opportunity. I was on the radio. And I talk about this story a lot on my show. And it was because of you guys that I decided to come out on the radio and be openly gay on the radio. And I embraced exactly what you guys did and kind of, in some ways, probably things that wouldn't fly so much today, but I made myself a little bit of a caricature of myself as a gay person. Um, right. And it won, it won audiences over, you know? And I, I always give flowers to you guys for being able to do that to me because ultimately I, I feel like you guys opened that door for people like me where we could walk in the world and be celebrated for exactly who we are. And even if it wasn't uh, on in a necessary direct kind of way, because you guys were ultimately helping the heroes on the show, but right. it just, it, it just was such a, a gratifying and life-changing experience as a viewer. And I'm sure for you to be a part of that history. So I can't say it enough with, uh, but thank you for for being a part of that and to doing that. Um, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, truthfully. Um, well, that thank you, because um, I love hearing those stories. And um, I love when people share that it made their life a little bit easier or made their coming out a little bit easier. And it happens to me like literally once a week, um, I'll meet somebody like on a plane. They'll be like my, my charming 30-year-old flight attendant or... <laughs> somewhere and they'll say oh my gosh they, i'll just get like a little note saying thank you so much your show helped me come out it allowed me to have a dialogue with my parents about being gay and they loved you and they laughed with you on the show and i just knew that it was going to be safe for me to come out because of that so i still get goosebumps when i hear those stories so thank you and um the moral of that story is that you never know how you're going to help people um, by being your authentic self. And that is the power of being out in general, um, is that when non-LGBTQ people know someone who's LGBTQ, um, especially right now, like with trans people, there's so many um, hateful laws coming out. If you know a trans person, you're like, my God, they're harmless. No, they're not trying. Why would we not want them to have equal rights or just right. be able to live? Right. Um, so visibility being out and um, allowing people to know you authentically is our best way of um, achieving the equality that we all deserve. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know, now it's getting, it's turning very round about this discussion, but <laughs> being yourself is really powerful yes. uh, because when people know you, they say, well, a gay person's not that bad or a trans person's not scary or whatever it is that they don't understand when they know you on a human level, they're just like, well, they're just a person just like me. Um, and they're a little bit different, but they're actually a lot more alike than they are different. And that disarms people. So we need more of that. When you look back on those years of that show, 
Is there like one moment that really just sticks out to you that maybe, you know, that you don't normally talk about or something that, you know, that you will, that you'll never forget, or maybe that was life-changing for you? Um, honestly, I wish we had like, you know, Instagram back then because there's so many things. It was such a whirlwind, you know, we were five guys who like, I worked for Ralph Lauren, Tom had his own, you know, just a starting design company. Kyan was a colorist. Uh, Jay was on an off-Broadway show. Ted was working for Esquire. Like none of us had any level of like stardom in any way. And then all of a sudden, like literally like overnight, the show airs. I, I don't know why it was so successful. I don't know how people found out about it, but it was wildly successful. And we were immediately booked on Ellen and Jay Leno. And there are so many memories that were incredible that I don't remember because it was such a whirlwind and I wish we had Instagram because people would be like, remember when we went to the White House? And I was like, no, I don't. I don't remember anything. I don't remember most of 2003. So, but there are certain memories um, that that show afforded me. Like one that I have a picture um, on my desk um, here at my farm and it's me and my mom and my dad at Lehigh University. And they did like a, a night with Carson Presley. And um, it was like a very like hometown celebration. It was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at Lehigh. And I think it was um, Pride of the Lehigh Valley hosted it. And like a thousand people came. Wow. And it was such a wonderful homecoming. And my parents were there. And it was the first time I was like fully me, like in front of everybody. Because the show had come out. I was completely out to everybody. I had high school teachers and friends and family members um, who were all there to celebrate me. And it was just one of the, you know, people like, oh, you're Emmy or your world championship. No, the best night was like that night with my friends and family saying like, we love who you are. We're so glad that you're out. Um, so that was, that was really great for me. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine what it is like to know that you were a part of something like that and that will go down in American history, but also LGBTQ history and on the forefront of that movement for so long now. And now you get to do that again in Drag Race. Yeah. How, how did, I've always wanted to ask you, like, um, how did coming to be on Drag Race ever come to be? I've always wondered that. Oh, well, this is a great lesson for anybody who uh, works in showbiz and wants to be successful in Hollywood. Um and it is the, it's the, um, that you should say yes to some things that you're just kind of like, oh, I don't think this is the right fit for me or, oh, I don't know if that's going to be fun or whatever. Um, sometimes um, not your perfect scenario will lead to your perfect scenario. So I was asked to do uh, a judging day on a, on a competition reality show called Skin Wars. And it was a body painting show on the game show network. And a friend of mine, one of the original network producers for Queer Eye had moved to Game Show Network. She was um, heading like their development. And I think that's why I got asked to do it. Or, you know, she was like, would you please do the show? And I was like, sure. And I got there and it was in, um, I don't know, like Marina Del Rey or one of those places. There's a bunch of studios out there with giant satellite dishes. I've only been there like twice in my life, but it was out there and I got there early in the morning, like at eight o'clock. And when I got to my dressing room, there was one of those little TVs that has a VHS tape deck <laughs> built into it. And there was a stack of movies like Mean Girls and like the full season of Sabrina the Teenage Witch and like 
everything under the sun. And I was like, well, that's, I, I don't need to watch all these movies just to get ready. And then somebody came in and said, uh, we're gonna take your food order um, for, um, you know, the day. And I was like, oh, they said I'll be done by 12. Um, I don't think I want to eat lunch. I'll just have like a little something, you know, like I'll get a bagel or something at Crafty. And they're like, no, no, no. You're going to be done at 12 midnight. This is like at eight in the morning. And I was like, oh what? <laughs> um, but apparently the contestants were going to body paint some people into like a scene at a grocery store. They had to like match them, like to look like a wall full of like canned peas. Oh God. And as you can imagine, painting someone's body to blend into camouflage, like a wall of peas at a grocery store <laughs> would take a minute. So I was like, oh, this is the worst show. Uh, but RuPaul was one of the judges and Rebecca Romaine. And it was actually really fun when you weren't waiting around. But um, on set, Ru had said to me, why haven't you been on my show? I said, I don't think anyone's asked me. And he said, I think we have. And I said, you have? And I was like, I don't know. So I said, I would love to. Um, you know, because it was it was very much a cult favorite by then. Yeah, 100%, right. right. And uh, it had been on Logo for like four or five years. And um, I still have the voicemail. It was from like May of like 10 years ago. And it was like Rue saying, hey, it's me. I just want to follow up. We definitely want to have you on the show. And I still have that. And it's, a, it's one of those, you know, voicemails that I'll keep forever if that's mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. And um, that was 10 years ago. And um, now we're on season, uh, what is this, 15? 15. Yeah. And um, like 30 some Emmys later, here we are. And I have been so lucky um, to work on what I think are two of the most groundbreaking LGBT or queer shows out there. Right. In that Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, you know, changed a lot of minds and hearts back in the early 2000s. And now Drag Race. Um, has such a wide reach because of streaming and being in so many different countries. Queer Eye was in 98 countries all over the world, but they had to be part of the cable system, I think. You know, we didn't have streaming back then. Now with streaming, um, Drag Race can be seen from Milwaukee to Malaysia, and young people who, you know, feel marginalized or don't know where they fit in in this world can see people like themselves being super successful and being celebrated. And they can say, oh my gosh, well, there's hope for me. Mm. I, you know, they might not even be aspiring drag queens, but they the, the stories that the queens tell on the show of, you know, um, the trials and tribulations of, you know, issues with their families or where they grew up or um, issues at work. It's very empowering when you see them celebrated for exactly who they are. I think that resonates with young people all over the world. And it's really, really important because it says you can be um, super successful and celebrated by just being exactly who you were meant to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable how not only has this show built and grown and grown and grown, which is kind of unheard of really for a show yeah. like that, right? And yeah. um, not only that, but now airing during a time in our country 
where there are laws being presented to make things like this illegal and to discriminate against a group of people openly and willingly. Um, and I did want to make sure that while you're here, talk about the Drag Defense Fund, which is with the ACLU um, yes. advocating for LGBTQ rights. And I want to make sure that anybody listening goes online and finds out more information on how to donate. Obviously, that's very important to the world of Drag Race, to, to you, to RuPaul and everyone there. So please go online and check that out. Um, but I want to, you know, I really want to know is why... I, I know in my mind, right, you know, like this is all smoke and mirrors and they're trying to distract really everyone else from what's really happening and just using us right. as a scapegoat. Um, but why is this happening? I, I just don't understand it. I think that like of all the things in the world, <laughs> like to pick, uh, pick a group, not only on us as a community, which we're the wrong, to be very frank, we're the wrong ones to fuck with, truthfully. And Agreed. Uh, but then to like go after drag queens who are just there to provide joy and entertainment on every level, it is mind boggling to me. Yeah, no, it's it's outrageous and it is mind boggling and it's no sense. And um, the ACLU Drag Defense Fund, if you want more information on that, you can go to my Instagram page Great. and there's a post about it and you can read all about my thoughts on, you know, the attack against drag performers. and. You know, I put something really, I thought, quite thoughtful up about it. And I said, listen, um, no matter what you feel about drag, you know, it's a very diverse medium. Some shows are geared towards adults. Some story hours are geared to children. You as a parent have every right to decide what is appropriate for your kids. But for wide sweeping laws to be enacted that drag can't be seen anywhere in public seems a bit insane. And I got some pushback, you know, the classic, well, we're doing it for the children. And I was like, I agree. You should, you should parent your children exactly how you see fit. You should be deciding what they see, just like a television. You know, some things aren't appropriate for all audiences. We don't throw out the TV, do we? Uh, no. <laughs> And we align our values with what we're watching. And if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. I, I I agree completely. You have every right. This is America. But we also have every right to free speech and to perform and to live our lives. So I, I think the number one thing that resonated that I learned is that um, people who have a problem with it and were attacking me on my own social media uh, have not seen a drag show, essentially, because they're like, well, there's grown men gyrating their genitals in front of kids. I was like, no, you haven't been to a drag queen story hour with Nina West, um, you would see. So again, it's, you know, ignorance is the biggest enemy out there. We all need to educate. Um, and I think if people would sit down and watch RuPaul's Drag Race, they would get a real education and see, well, this isn't scary. This is funny and delightful and bright and intelligent um, and entertaining. So I just think, once again, um, we have to be out there and we have to be visible and we have to be vocal and we have to kill them with kindness and we have to educate um, so people know uh, about the art of drag. And uh, my hope is that so many young people 
um, love and watch Drag Race. And they're not all LGBTQ people. There's a lot of allies and just, you know, um, everyday people that watch the show and love it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's those people that are going to spread the message with us that, you know, drag is not something to be um, scared of. And it's also not something that should be uh, stifled and made illegal. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I well, I could not literally agree more. I just was like talking about this this week's episode, the wig loose musical, like was just one for the books in my right. mind as a fan of the show exactly. for so long. The perfect exactly. timing, the perfect situation with a message that reigns through and for a show to be done months earlier and prior to what's happening. Unbelievable. It's, it's the Lord's work. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. What do you think it is um, about about this show uh, that is so special? Um, I think there's a couple of things. I think RuPaul is very, very special. And I think um, his energy and attitude and activism and loveliness and wisdom um, uh, pervades the show. I mean, it's just it's it's everywhere. It's top down. Um, I think we have amazingly smart uh, producers who have great uh, intellect, have great savvy with pop culture. Um, I think the judges are pretty good. And then, of course, <laughs> in every season, America gets to meet, you know, 13, 16, whatever, how many new queens that have incredible stories. Um, and every season when we get to the part, you know, like, what would you tell five-year-old Jameson? Right. Um, you know, I'm like on the judges panel. I have no emotions. I never cry. Well, I do get a little teary-eyed during those moments because um, you see how far these people have come. And even during the show, you know, sometimes people are broken down and they have to reemerge and fight and and be a survivor and and be creative and use all their gifts of their queerness usually to make that happen. And uh, I think it's very engaging. And I also think it's, it's a super fun and funny show. And uh, we don't always take ourselves too seriously, which is really important. And um, we just celebrate people, you know, doing the art of drag, which is very, very entertaining shit. Facts. It's, it's so interesting to me that it still feels fresh, you know, like so many seasons in there, yeah. are, there are a few competition reality shows that still do that. You know, like, I feel like you guys do that really well. Top Chef does that really well. I was thinking about that was my first job in television ever was working on the right. first season of Top Chef. And still mm-hmm. I give that team so much credit because every season I watch and I feel like I'm watching something new. And that's what, even with the same, elements it still feels fresh and yeah. I, I give that show a lot of credit for that i think it's um it's really good casting i think it you know like i said before um 15 new contestants every season makes for a new show and a new experience every season and yes you have you know me and michelle and ross and rue and you know some of the framework is always there but i think it's the show's really all about the queens and every new crop gives us you know great new entertainment yeah. And, and congratulations again on all of that success. I'm, I'm just always blown away. And I, I don't know how you keep it together when RuPaul cracks up because RuPaul's laugh is so infectious. 
and it's wild to watch like her reaction to certain things because it's like what why are you why do you think that's so funny i don't know how you guys keep it together half the time there's, yeah there's i mean um rue will just crack up at the most like the biggest example was like miss banshee yes i don't understand why is that so funny yeah uh, but it became iconic And uh, I think most of that was because Rue um, was so tickled by it. And, um, you know, it it launched a thousand ships that Miss Angie. It it sure did. Where did your love for food come from? Because you're now doing a lot of these other food network shows. I know you did do Beat Bobby Flay and the Barbecue Brawl. Like how how did that transition fashion and food? Because you really earn your keep on those shows. You're funny. You keep them light, like where normally food shows can get a little like, you know, but you're so good at it. And you add um, you add such a fun element to it. So how did that come about? Oh, well, I have been, um, I've been eating since I was a baby, so I do know what <laughs> tastes good. Um, and uh, I think during the pandemic, like so many people, I started experimenting with like making my own food. I was like, I better figure this out. Yep. And um, I was like cooking for my family and um, I just started to really enjoy it. And at the same time, um, I think, and this is again, one of those things where like, you should say yes to a bunch of different things, even if they're not your dream. I think I was asked to do, um, maybe it was beat Bobby Flay or something, which is a food network game show helmed by Bobby Flay. Who's another yes. one of my great loves in yeah. showbiz along with Rue and Ryan Seacrest and Kelly at, there's Bobby and, um, he's so great. And I think, um, after I did a couple of those shows, they said, we really want to work with you. That was based on Bobby, you know, wanting to work with me. And um, they had this barbecue brawl show that they had done one season, but they wanted to kind of reconfigure it. And um, they were getting ready to do season two. And they said, would you do it? And I said, you do know, I, I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they said, actually, you're really good at like articulating like how food tastes. And, um, you know, you'd be like the every man. And I was like, well, I'm, Again, not really the every man, but okay. <laughs> and um, I did season, I think it was season two and season three. And now we just um, finished season four and it comes out in May. And so it's really fun. I just get to eat. And I honestly have learned so much um, about food and seasoning and things like uh, uh, all these different spices, especially in barbecue, like uh I don't know what they're called anymore, kajagugu or something. It's like a, all these exotic spice flavor profiles. But the other people on the show, like Brooke Williamson and Rodney um, Scott, are so knowledgeable. I learned so much from them. And then I'm just, I'm the one that's just like, I don't understand what this is supposed to be. What's this supposed to taste like? And I just, you know, keep it real. And I guess they like it. And they keep asking me back. Well, you you fit in absolutely perfectly there because your commentary you. on some of the food is um is is quite funny and you, and you keep them on their toes you know the the other the other judges and hosts that's for sure. Um, True. True. What is the, what's the favorite? What is your favorite thing that you've had on those shows? Um, let's see. I mean, they always I could live on cheeseburgers. It's my favorite like okay. food. Like I'm a connoisseur. And um, they make an amazing smash burger on some of these barbecue shows. And then the other thing, um, 
that I love. Um, I love a good rib. And I like when it has like an Asian five spice profile, like a savory and um, sweet and kind of cinnamony. Okay. Um, so those are when it's a baby back rib and it's like lacquered and it's like almost crunchy on the outside, but not quite. And then it's all gooey on the inside. There's, there's nothing better. I'm salivating. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've had some incredible things working on those shows. What is the worst thing that you've had? Oh, um, sometimes, and I, and I salute this, people will make like a regional um, favorite of theirs. And there's this melon from like the Philippines or something. And I okay. can't even remember the name of it, but it smells like, like rotten Limburger cheese or something. <laughs> when you cut, op- cut it open, there's videos online of people like cutting it open in front of a dog and the dog like literally runs yelping <laughs> away. So that's it. Um, and they they made that grilled melon for us and it's like a custard so it was just it was like a rotten custardy like um like phlegm consistency it was like greeny yellow like that and I was just like I can't um and it's a delicacy I know and I respect it but I was just like I'm no I'm gonna hurl and there's just you know there's a lot of regional foods that are just insane like there's something like from pennsylvania that i grew up on called scrapple do you know what that is i feel like i've heard of that yeah that's like a because i'm from the northeast too so the slaughter a hog they put all the extra items that they okay. don't use into like a big pot and they boil it up into like a pudding okay and then it like goes into like a loaf pan and then um it's like has the consistency of bologna and you slice it and you fry it and it is kind of like spam ish it's a spam consistency but it's mushier on the inside but it's all like i don't know what's in it (laughs) uh, but it's all the pig extras and like sometimes it looks like it has little baby hairs on it so you can only imagine so i can every every region has their food that you're just like no thank you ma'am that's amazing. I I will make sure I steer clear of that. Before I let you go, I, I do want to do a quick little, I do this um, rapid fire, like Woody's Roundup rapid okay. fire. So I'm going to throw out some questions and you just sure. give me the first thing that pops into your mind, all right? Okay. What is your go-to snack item? Oh, um, mm, they're so naughty, but those peanut butter filled pretzels from like, you know, so Costco. Good. And the big so jug. <laughs> yeah, it's like in a, a tube, yeah. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite uh, fashion accessory? Mm, oh, gosh, there's so many. I love a great pocket square. I love a good watch. And I love nice sunglasses. And those are kind of like the three things every guy should have anyway. That is, I swear to you, we've had a discussion about pocket squares for sure. Um, biggest so pet good. peeve? Oh, biggest pet peeve. Um I mean, just jerks. Like I saw this video the other day and it was just, there's this guy on Instagram who or maybe he's on Twitter or TikTok and he has like a beard and he's the person that finds out everybody who's a jerk in America. Like he posts the video of Karen's and Kevin's and says, let's find these people. And there was a video of this guy and he was in Alaska and he was like eating like a, you know, something from Hardee's or wherever they have up there. He just threw the container and the wrapper out the window and someone videoed him saying, sir, do you realize you just littered? And he's like, yeah, I don't give an F. And those types of people, I just, they're the worst. 
Yeah, but one hundred percent. They just don't give a fuck, and you're like, how simple yeah. is it, really? Yeah, a mean, a mean litter bug, the worst. <laughs> yeah. What is um, what do you think is the fashion must have for all women? Oh, for all women, regardless of age, yeah, uh, everything. I mean, oh god. I mean, I think this is like very like old school, but like. I think a gorgeous scarf is so versatile. Like not many people wear them on their head anymore, like Elizabeth Taylor, but just a gorgeous scarf. You could have a white t-shirt and jeans and plop a gorgeous scarf on. And people would be like, oh my God, are you a movie star? Like the, the art of a gorgeous scarf, I think is, is uh, lost on people. And I say that because like amazing denim is really important, but not every woman likes denim. Right. Um, or like a perfect, you know, like little black dress or all those things. Like, but the one thing that everybody can wear doesn't matter, you know, if your size is changing or your or your vibe is an amazing scarf. They're so versatile. And what's what's one quality that you find most attractive? Um, hmm. In a man? Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think um, uh, I think it's a sense of uh, of easy confidence. I think that's so attractive. Like, if a guy like looks good in jeans and a t shirt and doesn't have to have like a fancy car, like just somebody who's like has natural swagger and um, relaxed confidence, I think that's so attractive. I'm trying to think of somebody like that. I don't know. My mind is going to Bobby Cannavale. I don't know if he has that, but I've always had a crush on him. So maybe it's just him. I, I see that a lot. And I'm not sure if you know this kid, but he's huge on social media and he does a little yeah. bit of acting and modeling, but his name is Noah Beck. And he just, he's tall and like dreamy. And he just has a sense of like, he's not like the most traditionally good looking, but he really carries right. himself like that where you're like, oh man, there's something so attractive about him. And it's, not always just because he's good looking. Um, what is one right. color that you would say to stay away from? Oh, I love this color, but nobody really can wear it. Like very few people like that. Um, that green yellow, it's like a baby food color. And I just saw it. It was like green has been having a moment in interior design and in fashion last year. And then this year, I think the color that was having a moment like on the carpet and a lot of runways that we're bracing for is like a buttery yellow, which blondes, I can't wear it. Um, but that that green yellow combining those two, it's like a chartreuse, like spring pea or like um, a baby food green. It's a really interesting color, but Almost nobody ever looks good in it. And every time I see like a smattering of it introduced in the collection, I'm just like, you know, no one's going to buy that, right? Because <laughs> nobody looks good in it. <laughs> Looking up Noah Beck. Oh, he has uh, 8 million followers. He's so cute. Um, yeah, he is. Right? Like yes, he kind of has a like untraditional look and he's just gorgeous and he's like six foot five and like just is. And I he's mean, very. He's, very very cute he is very cute yes yeah no, I, I i did a tiktok duet video with i'll text it to you so you can see it. it's very funny um what do you yeah, last friends. last one i wanted to ask you is what what is the one fashion trend that you wish would just go away and not come back there's got to be one 
Oh, I mean, again, um, I'm going to stick to denim because it's the one thing that we all wear, but like high-waisted, wide-legged, acid-washed, <laughs> like they were horrible the first time. Um, and they weren't even like when they were acid-washed, like in the late 80s, early 90s, they were at least skinny and pegged. And now they're like acid-washed, wide-legged, high-waisted. Like it's just all of the bad ideas rolled up into one garment um, so please stop. <laughs> oh, you're the best. So what's in the future for you? What do you, what do you have coming up? Obviously the rest of the season, a drag race. Yes. Um, um, some, um, yeah. Rest of drag race. A finale is coming up soon. A live yeah. finale, which is always exciting. Yeah. Um, we're getting to that point where we're down to like, you know, the, the, the cream of the crop. And I actually have my own first big live drag extravaganza that I'm hosting um, at the Wind Creek Casino in Pennsylvania. It's so important to get drag out there. It's so an experience that's not scary. It's wonderful. Um, that's April 15th at the Wind Creek Casino. So if you're listening and you live in the New York tri-state area, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, please come see us on April 15th. We're going to have Selena Estides, um, Plastique Tiara's DJing our after party. We have um, Kennedy Davenport. We have um, uh, um, many queens from RuPaul's Drag Race. So it's going to Amazing. be a great night. Love it. And then in the spring, we have um, a season four of Barbecue Brawl, which is going to be great. Amazing. Um, uh, at North, Northern California. So that'll be... Um, a fun change of pace and um you know look for me at a pride near you <laughs> you know i admire your work hustle is is unmatched i'm always i always admire that about you and uh keep doing what you're doing because you know if you don't get told enough you you um you're a pretty amazing person and you've done a lot of really amazing things so just keep it up um, and Thank I look so forward much. to everything that you are a part of. Um, where can uh, people find you online? You're just at Carson Cressley, right? Oh, on your social? Yeah, at Carson Cressley on um, Twitter, Instagram, Christian Mingle, all of those. <laughs> oh, you're the best. Yeah, I, heard, I saw that you just did a, an event with Karen Huger from Real Housewives of Potomac. I did. You know, yeah, those are my, those are my girls. Um, I worked on the first I, two um, seasons of that. Yeah, they're pretty hardcore. And um, I never really like know all their backstory. And I, I just know so many of these housewives. Like I did um, Apprentice with Kyle and I'm friends right. with Luann. Dorinda right. is a friend of a friend. And Sonia like crashed at my apartment one summer. And like, um, I just know them all, but I don't know all their backstory on the shows. And then I do these events and somebody's like, how dare you? Do you know how awful so-and-so? I'm just like, no, I just know them as real people. And I have. <laughs> the chicanery on the show so excuse me <laughs> that's a very good word i didn't get to see, did you see what's in my background here i saw that I the original honored. queer eye book i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to see bring it and get you to sign it because ted and jay have signed i have to get you to sign it you must it has a blue and tan and white striped interior it sure does and that's always where we sign so i would love to i well i can't th thank you enough go ahead you're so welcome you know, it's, it's been um, it's been a, a privilege and an honor. Thank you for doing my show. I appreciate you guys. Right before you go, can you give me like a, hey, it's Carson Kressley and you're listening to What's Up, Woody? 
Well, hello, you gorgeous people. It's me, Carson Cressley, and you're listening to What's Up, Woody? Did I get Thank that right? You, you sure did. Thank you, my love. I appreciate you. I'm so happy to see you. Wise, you're great at this, by the way. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's Up, Woody. You can listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Like, rate, and subscribe now, or by visiting whatsupwoody.com. Follow us on social media. Instagram is at Woody Woodbeck and what's underscore up Woody. And on Twitter, it's at what's up Woody one. Have an amazing day and be kind to one another.